Joshua Morris or Harris, Joshua Harris, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. All of these people are leaving Christianity who were supposed to be the missionaries to our secular culture right? because of the secular culture. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another wonderful, wonderful episode of Every News Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm Mike Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dave Velvet Fog Van Vickle. How's your voice doing today, Dave? <laughs> yeah, it's rough, man. I was outside working all day, which is, you know, manual labor. Like, what is that all about? <laughs> and uh, and uh, thanks a lot, Pope John Paul, for giving dignity to work like that. Um <laughs> Uh, but I've so I, the, my allergies are killing me, so my voice is a little bit scratchy. Oh. But does it stress you at all that you have to come up with a name for me every time? Uh, by stress, you mean delight? The answer is yes. yes. Yeah, okay. I okay. could not be more excited to come up with a name now that it's officially become a thing. When Christina started putting that in our show notes, Christina is one of our wonderful producers at Ascension. Yeah, she started awesome. putting that in the show notes. I was like. It's become a, thing. a real thing. A thing. Yeah, right. And when people email us, they often use one of the taglines. <laughs> or I love it when they suggest tagline. That's so fun. Oh, it is awesome. It is awesome. So it's interesting. So we are, you know, we're redoing our house right now and uh, getting it ready for like uh, wheelchairs and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm like trying to move things in boxes and stuff like that. And then yesterday, the, the like one of the guys who was working was like, so you're a pastor? And I'm like, no, I'm not a pastor. I'm Catholic. I said, so I'm not a priest, but I'm an evangelist. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay. So, um, you know, my wife, you know, she can't reconcile, like, the idea of, like, a loving God with evil in the world. Like, how does how do you talk to her about that? And it was literally, like, he caught me so off guard. I felt like such an idiot because I was moving boxes, and that was, like, the question he asked. But it's, like, it's amazing, <laughs> you know, if you – are willing to do it how many people are just wondering yeah. desperately yeah. questions like that you know how many people so what did so, you say what did you say i you know i tried to stumble through it and i told him a little bit of our story about how you know um yeah and i talked to him about like god's passive will and everything and and, and actually uh, yeah. what was funny is that when i finished what i thought was a very eloquent response he goes yep that's what i told her <laughs> <laughs> so he was like he knew he knew exactly what what you know to say and everything like that so but uh Hey, so I have a great opportunity for some listeners coming up in Akron, Ohio on September 7th. Ooh. I'll be running a Catholic School of Spiritual Warfare, which is, this will be the second time I'm doing it. Um, I literally wrote the curriculum because I wanted to resurrect a Catholic understanding of spiritual warfare. And so it's it's unlike anything out there. Um in the sense that, you know, you know, there are priests who are exorcists and there's deliverance trainings and things like that that can be thoroughly Catholic, but there's not really anything out there that's just for the ordinary work of the devil, right? How do we respond to that? And that's really what this school is all about. So um, it's going to be thoroughly from the heart of the church. And uh, it's if you want to know more information, there's an organization that's kind of sponsoring it called Peter's Shadow. They're out of Akron, Ohio, and you can just Google them and look up their site, and you can sign up for the School of Spiritual Warfare there. It's just a one-day-long thing, but um, I, I hope uh, if you're in that area, you'll consider coming, because it seemed to be really fruitful last time I did it, and this will be the second time I'm doing it now. And that's in Akron, Ohio? Yeah, Akron. Yeah. Nice. My uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law are out there, so I'm going to shoot them Ooh, an email. I'll expect, it, I'll expect to see them. <laughs> They are morally required to sit in the front yeah, row. Exactly. So this, it's called the School of Spiritual Warfare. Yeah, it's called the Catholic School of Spiritual Warfare, and it's um, 
through Peter's Shadow Ministries, how they'd find out how to sign up and everything. They're handling all that. Peter's Shadow? Yeah. As in Acts of the Apostles, the shadow of... Okay. Yeah. I think that they're like a healing ministry. I've kind of gotten to know them over the years, um, and they're good people. But they asked me to come out and do the same thing I did in Pittsburgh for their people, so... That's um, awesome. Yeah. That's I'm doing the uh, the Fullness of Truth conference. We mentioned it last time. Fullness of Truth on August 16th through the 18th on the topic of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Behold your mother, Ark of the New Covenant. And I'm giving the talk on Mary and spiritual warfare. Ooh, How convenient. I want, I want to give that. I know. And you're supposed to send me your your notes for oh, that. Yeah. I'll, yeah. You know I'm bad yeah. about stuff like that. I do know you're bad about stuff like that. And speaking of which. I know uh, what you're going to say. Everybody's Did waiting. you send it? No, I haven't sent it. No. Dude, dude. I know. So what I'm talking about, people, many of you wrote in when Dave described what his intercessory prayer ministry looks like because he mentioned a job description that he had written. And he wrote it like, yeah. what, five, six years ago? And he updated it recently. And then he decided the best way to share the love of Christ is to not send the PDF to anyone. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, we're still waiting on that one. The best way for me to share the love of Christ is to get a minute in my office without something to do. So I, I, I promise it's coming soon. Oh boy, my name's Dave. I'm the Velvet Fog. I'm really, he's really laying it on <laughs> thick here, people. All right, let's get into our topic today because this is important. Like, you know, let's imagine you're in sales, which I'm sure some of you are, right? You want to know who you're selling to. You want to know your client. You want to know this. And it's very similar with evangelization. We have to know the culture that we're speaking into. We have to know all about them, the strategies that we can use and all this kind of stuff. So we're going to do another episode here today on four levels of of culture and, um, and just really trying to sink our teeth into understanding how to reach the people that we come in contact with every day. And Gomer, you recently, you like had a retreat on this recently, right? Yeah, so I helped lead um, the the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana brought me out to lead a Kerygma workshop, essentially, on um, how do we weave in a parish life, ordinary parish life, how do we weave the Kerygma, present the Kerygma, all this stuff in adult faith formation. And it was a fun conference. The people putting it on could not have been, uh, I don't know, they, they were just such ideal people. Um, good old Jonathan is the one I worked with, Jonathan and Paul, and just i have nothing but the best things to say about these people because they get it they desperately want every parish and parishioner to get it and the guy paul said to me hey you have to realize something different about this conference and i said what's that and he said well some of them are like really want the academic side and they were even talking about trying to get you to submit a white paper beforehand oh my gosh and i've never done that and i was like well and he goes i don't worry don't worry i told him you're not going to do that you're not going to do that it's not this this that is not this type of event. It's not a series of lectures. It's more training and spirituality and all this stuff kind of woven in. And he said, but if you give me notes, they have to be detailed. Right. And I was like, okay, yeah, right. okay. So I, I took tons of notes that I usually don't produce, um, and I put it all together, um, just things that help me work through this. And one of the things that I really wanted to deliver was understanding the context of our modern culture um, towards which we bring the kerygma to bear right and um there's all these different helps and ways of thinking about these things but uh, i went back and listened to one of my favorite podcasts called this cultural moment two evangelical non-denom pastors one from portland the other one in melbourne talking about these things and the dude from melbourne mark sayers is also a a well-respected intellectual in his own right 
I loved his quoting of a sociologist named Philip Reef. Have you ever heard of him? No. I mean, the name sounds familiar, but I don't know. <laughs> you said it almost off disab- the top of my head. I don't know. I'm so sad. Um, yeah, I feel bad. Yeah, no, Philip Reef. I haven't heard of him outside of this context, but um, uh, he essentially was a Jewish man who's a sociologist at you know some major university. But the older he got, the more into Judaism he got. Oh. And he began exploring it through the lens of sociology and whatnot. And he began to see that the modern world was not as anti-religious as he thought, viewing things like therapy and whatnot uh, as expressions of religion almost. And so um, I'm not totally familiar with his work, but once I started to look into this guy, I began to realize, oh, I I remember Alistair McIntyre references his book and one of these things and all this stuff. So um, what he does, I'm a huge fan of typology. Typology is where you essentially create these types that help you explain and navigate the world, and they draw on real historical examples and stuff. And so he gives us three types of culture, first culture, second culture, and third culture. And we can kind of, for the interest of this, summarize it as pre-Christian, Christian, and post-Christian with the idea of if we understand the first two cultures, it'll help us proclaim the gospel in the third culture this post christian culture and then uh but as dave mentioned there's kind of a fourth culture that's kind of thrown in there that mark sayers was coming up with so it's not a part of philip reef stuff but um yeah so i just thought we could dive into that is that is yeah it's gonna be a little academic a little nerd a little nerd time but i think we can we can walk through it i'll bring it down don't worry (laughs) you can say all the crazy academic stuff and i'll bring it down to earth (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I want you to picture right now like Rome a hundred years before Christ or Rome in the second century, right? This is the notion of first culture, um, the Hindu culture today, right? It's a pre-Christian or even pre-creedal culture because essentially these are places dominated by animalism or uh, animism or naturalism or uh, a paganism that has demons and all this stuff commingled where the spiritual world is very real, but it's often perceived as very oppressive. Right. And so the way that you navigate through this is through superstition, through strength, honor, and shame, right? So these are cultures dominated by dominance as the key way to relating to things around you. If Zeus won the Godhead by, uh, you know, destroying his father and all this stuff, um, so too is Rome to destroy the barbarians and it just kind of like replicates itself downhill. Right. Honor and shame is the way you govern society. So these are called, you know, a very easy way to understand it is I live for honor. I flee from shame. Right. And that includes your family. That includes your career. That includes all that stuff. So, uh, the first culture is a, what we could call a pre-Christian culture. If we're talking about Europe that I so often do, um, a second culture would be a creedal culture. It's monotheistic. Um, morally, it's not dominated by might makes right. It's ordered towards justice. It, it's not perfect, but we start to think of Europe as it begins to be converted by Christianity. Um, you can think of Palestine as Judaism conquers, you know, the Philistines and the Hittites in that area and all that stuff. Um, you can even think of this as uh, the Muslims going through North Africa and pushing into really pushing into like the the Mongol steppe and all this other stuff. Right. Um, today we call it Mongolia. Um, all of these different things were a creedal culture, right? This is where reason is meant to reign. Um, it is demythologizing, 
right? So it begins to kill the gods, right? And and Islam is all about destroying idolatry, and right. so wherever I one of my favorite lines is wherever the cross is raised, idols come falling down. Um, but it's fiercely monotheistic, and it also props up individual human dignity. And so we begin to see culture shifting into this mode. We call that second culture. And then third culture is defined in reaction to second culture. So it's not so much a next, a clear next step. First culture and second culture are very distinct. But the, the second culture isn't a reaction to a thing. The second culture is this new thing, right? It, it's the gospel combined with Jewish understanding of law and Greek philosophy, and it encounters and changes things, right? Um, so it's no longer an honor and shame culture. It's a justice and dignity culture. But the third culture isn't that. The third culture defines itself as a reaction against the second culture, and its main mode is deconstruction, right? It's just busy tearing down things that have come before it. And the fascinating thing with this, right, you have the God is dead, but you have hostility to religion. You have, um, while you have hostility to religion, while actually trying to carry on in many ways the Christian project, and the idea of Mark Sayers is well, we're kind of hitting this a quasi fourth culture, and he says where it's not just a reaction to Christianity, but it it's combined with this bizarre forgetfulness of the past, especially the lessons taught to us in the twentieth century, right. And so Pope Fran uh, excuse me, Pope uh, St. John Paul said in his book, Memory and Identity, one of the most important tasks that we all share is to remember what happened in the 20th century. Right. And now we have the left having communist, <laughs> communism is coming back, and it's, it's chic. Fascism of the far right is nice and chic and all this stuff. Yeah. And so right. you begin to see um, all of these things that look like right and left or new right and new left right. or ultra right or alt right and and you know, hardcore left or radical left. Right. And and yet they undo the very things of right and left. Right? Like so you have you have these uh alt writers who are all atheists who call themselves right wing and yet they use have no basis in religion at all. Right. Yeah, at all. And so the conservative project of conserving that which is greatest that has gone before is completely annihilated. Um and so the, I thought this was so it was so powerful because I see it every day on Twitter more than anything else. Sure, yeah. yeah. And the best way it was put was, you remember Dana Carvey in Saturday Night Live doing the church lady skit? Right. Yeah, or Reverend Lovejoy's wife on The Simpsons. The children, the children. They're judgmental, angry, self-righteous, puritanical, and they'll destroy your reputation if you do something wrong and all this stuff. Right. The church lady is now the feminist atheist on, the, on uh, men and women who describe them. They're that. They are judgmental, angry, self-righteous, puritanical, right. and they will destroy your entire life if you say the wrong thing. The funny thing is the church lady was obsessed with, you know, sexual promiscuity, you know, not going to church on. And now it's the opposite, right? And now it's exactly the opposite. Are you seeing this in your in, in, in your evangelizing and whatnot? Yeah, I'm see oh, in the fringes, sure. But not, I mean, so far, you know, the people that I'm working with at the parish have not been totally infiltrated by this but on the fringes absolutely it's it's unbelievable how how well catechized by the world the people are compared to how well catechized our catholics are you yeah. know that's i mean it's kind of incredible yeah and it is funny because if people are devout roman or if people aren't even devout if people are just cultural catholics 
they will tend to remain in that what we would call second culture. Right. So they'll share certain things like family values right. and whatnot and all that stuff. But it used to be priests were continually critiqued by people on the left when they would give a homily or whatever, sure. just teaching what the church teaches. Sure. But now they're equally getting criticized by people on the right. On the right. And yep. that's that's new, and that's the kind of stuff that we're trying to highlight. And the funny thing is the language of the left seems to have a lot of that Christian language, right? This is why when people critique the right from the left, they'll so easily say things like, um, like in the recent debates, they were like, wow, we got a bunch of Republicans who aren't honoring God because God said, you know, don't come against my poor. And he quoted a psalm and he said, and yet they're voting down minimum wage. Right. Um, the idea is like defending the poor, the outcast, the minority, the the immigrant, the you know, all this stuff that sounds like very Jesus-y things to do. And we come alongside that, and you know the USCCB partners with it and echoes the same words. But then all of a sudden, it's getting on this train to support you know the marginalized and the poor. And then all of a sudden, it's going right. The train is going right past the station that we'd wanted to go, and now it's in you know going off in sexual immorality, and it's taking us in totally different ways that we can't get on any train anymore. Right. Absolutely. And it. It, it's just, it's really hard because I think that most of these people maybe haven't thought through this. Most of the people that we affected, that we talked to, that we're trying to evangelize, they haven't thought through this. They're not well-educated in these philosophies. It's just, this is what the universe is like now. I mean, they're educated by Twitter and, and television and, and one side or the other. And so they find themselves kind of through just like news quips, yeah. right? Uh, on one side or the other, and, and it's more polarized than even if, you know, in the old days when you would have actually, like, subscribed to a philosophy. Yeah, and the, the funny thing is the 80s fundamentalist Christianity, I don't know if you're familiar with the history of American Protestantism, but fundamentalists viewed themselves as outside culture, and the culture was to be condemned. So they ghettoized themselves, right? The people who would self-describe as fundamentalists. Right, right. They put themselves in ghettos, right? They only talked to each other. They read their own kind of, even their own newspapers and stuff. Um, and they were harsh and judgmental to the culture around them. That is the modern progressive culture. Like, I think of Portland who, the people in Portland, you know, <laughs> are considered to be the most progressive. Portland and pockets of Brooklyn the most progressive, but also they are the whitest people. Is, isn't that right? interesting? Right. Yeah. I mean, they, they, sh they're, they're, none of them are blue collar, right. right? They all, they, and, and for them to do blue collar work is a craft, a side thing. Oh, I brew my yeah, beer. Right. right. I'm a woodworker or something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hey, how dare you? How dare you? It's a hobby. <laughs> but it's really fascinating that these neighborhoods where the, it's the kind of like the heart of progressive, progressive culture. It, technology firms in san francisco all this stuff are you know they champion diversity really what that means is to destroy yeah in a lot of ways christian values and whatnot but in the name of diversity but at the same time they are the least diverse group you go to these brooklyn neighborhoods where the progressive mentality it is almost entirely white and high upper class oh yeah oh yeah yeah we couldn't afford that and <laughs> And it's gentrified, so it kicked out the poor people in order to make way for their coffee shops and their right. farm-to-table right. restaurants yeah, and all that it's, stuff. It and it and it's funny because they have. If you talk to one of these people, they have no idea. Yeah, 
Like they they are completely. You know, my wife and I lived for a year in Burlington, Vermont, which was it's like the hippie capital of the world. Okay, like there is that where the coat factory? No, from? no, no, Burlington. No, in Burlington, like if you're not just like you're not just liberal, you're a communist, right? Like the and that and like they come right. Like I used to, I used to meet with the communist with the socialist group on the campus of university of vermont to try and evangelize them like i would go to their meetings i still keep in touch with the head of the the local socialist group there <laughs> her name was tristan um and uh you know it was amazing that they were so entrenched in their ideology that they could not follow logic past that ideology like you you could not logic them out of it to the point where one time my yeah. neighbor I, I remember saying to her like um her name was Marissa, and she was, you know, one of these people. And I said to her, um, Marissa, you want to hear something so awful? There was this lady who had a show dog, and and then the show dog got pregnant, and they took the dog into a vet, and they killed the puppies while they were in while she was pregnant, so that she could continue on with her show. Okay. <laughs> oh, dang. and she oh. she was so indignant, she was so angry, like the right the anger that welled up inside her. It was unbelievable how awful she was like that woman should be murdered we should kill that woman how dare she do that and then i said hey marissa i i just want to let you know that is a true story but it was about a, a human woman who was a soccer player and she had twins and because of her career she had abortions and immediately she was like that is totally different are you serious that was immediate immediately she was like that is totally different it was just it was like no and she totally changed it yeah i mean she could not see you know the the problem behind this because she was so entrenched in this idea like the yeah. ideology wow you know? wow and this is the unique yeah. thing is progressive culture used to be like just think of the 60s progressive culture was avant-garde right and now it is cult yeah right, right? It, it it controls our educational institutions all that stuff so the uh as mark sayers talked about it's like they used to have these radical performance art pieces like andy right. warhol right. Right. and all that stuff they were on the periphery of culture and yes. now they are the culture and you know they are the culture because of the legislation they pass right it is all the stuff to defend their entrenched position such as uh protection of language yeah. um hate speech like all of this stuff that and using shame and censorship to keep the right. territory right. that they want right and so that's part of the culture that we're in. Um, there's a funny story. This Anglican missionary, his name's Leslie Newbegin, super famous in missionary groups and, and churches. He leaves England in 1936. So picture England in 1936, right? World War II, C.S. Lewis is given lectures that would become uh, you know, mere Christianity over the uh, BBC radio. Right, um, right. All this stuff's happening. He leaves England and goes to India with his wife, and they live as a missionary there for about 40 years. Wow. And then he takes buses from India all the way back to England in 1974. So in 1936, C.S. Lewis is on the radio. In 1974, Sex Pistols are on the radio. Yeah, so right. imagine it went from a first culture, or excuse me, a second culture to a third culture, Yeah, right? While he was hanging out in a first culture. So fast. Right? So, fat, so he's right. going through, and that's right. he's the one that got us, that got, excuse me, the Protestant world to realize that the West was truly a missionary field. And some Americans took that from Fuller Theological Seminary, and yeah, they started sure. what's called the church growth movement. Right, right. They started what's called the missional movement and all of these things. But the amazing thing that these people started to realize, it was so cutting edge in Christian theology, and that's our missiology. I was reading a lot of their books. 
um, when I was a youth minister. But they said the cr- criticism of the second culture of Christianity was it goes into a first culture and it brings so much of our colonization, right? It brings our own culture and mingles it with the gospel. So you have people in Africa who are Catholic who have, you know, European first names with their African last name, right? And it's, it's beautiful and there's wonderful stuff with it. But you can see that there's parts of our culture that got imported into their culture along with the gospel, right? Right, right? But the opposite, the opposite happens in third culture. We go to evangelize them to be missionaries to them and their culture begins to colonize us. And you see this all the time, oh, famously yeah. now. Um, right, right. Jo- what's his name? Joshua Morris or Harris? Joshua Harris, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. All of these people are leaving Christianity who were supposed to be the missionaries to right. our secular culture because of the secular right, culture. Right. So, uh, you know, we, we, we want to we have these discussions, you know, so often because it's, it's really important not only that you understand the culture that you're evangelizing, but also that you're not like a boiled frog, right? Because sometimes this can act like an examination of conscience that you can hear and see yourself a little bit in these commentaries on the culture and realize like, whoa, am I a Christian living in the world? but a separate from the world or am I of the world, you know? And so I think it's really important that we present these so that we can be countercultural so that we can speak relevantly to the culture that we're evangelizing. And, and also just to expose you to what is going on out there, because uh, I think for, for many of us, we're so siloed. We don't know, we don't know anything else about, you know, we'd about the other, the other side, you know, that it's kind of spooky to a lot of people. <laughs> it's true. It's true, and because uh, when you get rid of religion, all you have left is politics, so politics becomes religious, right? Politics becomes everything. And so um, the the amazing thing is that we have uh, Leslie Newbegin and all these, like, Fuller Theological Seminary. This is the reason why Vatican II happened 10, 15 years before Leslie right. Newbegin was even writing. Right. They saw right. the West, especially France, the eldest daughter of the church, the lily of the church, go so secular right that it shocked them single digit mass attendance they thought france was 98 percent catholic right and all of a sudden from vatican one you have the word gospel mentioned once to vatican two you have it mentioned over 150 times and over and over and again. the importance yeah. of this is the realization that you and i are in mission territory but it's not the same thing as if we're going to someone who's a never heard of the gospel. First culture. Yeah. Right. So that's why it's important to understand these types of contexts for the mission agentes, those who've never heard of Christ, going to a first culture, right? Uh, catechesis, which is for those who accept Christ, and it's about growing in holiness and growing in the sacramental life, to then the new evangelization, which is going to a post-Christian culture, where our prom, you know, in a lot of ways, our prominent mode of evangelization is going to be healing. healing of their past hurts and past misunderstandings of Christianity, healing what our culture has done to them and through them, right? So uh, that's, uh, I know we mentioned parts of this before, but that's, I I always think it's important. That's good. This is good to to review because it it is, and it even reminds me of things and things I need to think about. We get entrenched and we get siloed, so we have to remember, you know, to constantly reevaluate, are we relevantly speaking to the people that we're trying to reach? Uh, yeah. So listen, we're going to come back in, in a minute here. You're going to hear from our, our sponsors here at Ascension Press. We love working with Ascension Press, so please support them. They have a lot of amazing, amazing formation materials that 
you know, that are going to help you grow in your faith. They, they've helped me. I know they've helped Gomer. Um, again, if you have questions about evangelization, about discipleship, we want to hear from you. Just email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. We also want to hear your glory stories. You know, we know that there are people out there who are taking the five practical tips every week and they're applying them. And we want to hear if something going well, did you have any foibles? Are there any problems? We want to create this army of evangelists and want to communicate with each other. So eksb at ascensionpress.com. We'll be back with your five practical takeaways. Do you find it difficult to enter into the mysteries of the rosary? What about personally applying them to your life? Drawing from the writings of the saints, the Bible, and Catholic tradition, Matt Frat has produced Pocket Guide to the Rosary, a masterful work that teaches Catholics how to truly meditate on the mysteries of the rosary, how to pray the rosary like the saints, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your prayer life and improve the way you pray what St. Padre Pio called the weapon of our times, we invite you to check out Pocket Guide to the Rosary by Matt Frad. To order, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Every Knee Shall Bow. Reminder to rate us on iTunes so that we can dominate the entire podcasting world. It'll be awesome. Absolutely. Right, so now we're going to do our most painful part of the show that we are never prepared for, especially after we say them, write them down, to actually do. It is so difficult. <laughs> I had one guy tell me um, that he he hates this part of the show, not because it's so uh, difficult to do, but because it's so easy to do that he can't avoid it. So here we go. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All right, number one, here's what I want you to do. All right, this is your stepping out of the boat moment. We all know in every city, you know, pretty much in the United States, there's like the the yuppie kind of more liberal area of the city, like like Gomer was talking about. Uh, it usually has a lot of organic food stores, right? A lot of like coffee shops, things like that. A lot of yoga studios, <laughs> right? I'm like totally, uh, you know, like just really giving stereotypes here. But but I want you to just do this, right? I want you to go pick that place, and I want you to find a coffee shop, and I want you to just go sit and have a cup of coffee. I want you to look at the things on the bulletin boards and on the little, you know, the little offerings they have of like, you know, the advertisements of the things going on in that area and just kind of immerse yourself in that culture and real and just people watch for a little bit and just notice what what people are like and and how it is because I I I want you to realize that, you know, it, it just because, you know, you think you know your neighborhood, it doesn't mean you know the culture that most people are living in. Okay, and so just go and kind of experience the other side a little bit there. I also want you to go to adoration in prayer, and I want you to ask one question, right? This is a searching question. How has the culture colonized my faith, right? So there are things that we think of um, maybe what is your knee-jerk reaction to things? What are grudges you behold against your grudges you hold against your fellow Catholics, and their political statements that maybe instead of being informed by the gospel, you're informed by the culture, right? And just ask yourself where, you know, how has the culture colonized aspects of my morality, my political view, my, um, the way I'm neighbor to someone, 
Right. All right. Number three, again, trying to immerse yourself in understanding how they think and how they operate and the different foundations that they have for thought. I want you to read something like maybe The New Yorker or one of these uh, publications that really come from that culture and pick one topic that they, you know, kind of have enshrined something like, uh, you know, different gender rights or, or things like that, gender issues. And read one of these authors just so you can see where they're coming from, so you can understand why they believe what they believe, and you might be able to even formulate a response at that moment. And it, it shouldn't be something vitriolic. It should be something that you're trying to understand who they are and to try and to reach them in, in a seriously uh, heartfelt, charitable way to try and evangelize them. Uh, number four, number four. This one's going to be interesting. This comes from Evangelia Nuziandi, uh, from my buddy Luke Carey, who is a super fan of this encyclical. And it helped launch the evangelization project for the church. Uh, one of the things is you have to ask yourself, uh, what aspects of your life or ministry have obvious signs of transformation? Right? Because if the gospel changes us, right, converts us, there should be signs of this. What in your life has changed now that you're making a greater and greater commitment to evangelizing the modern world? I love that one. I love that one. Uh, the last one, you know, we always have something for intercessory prayer. I want you to intercede for the upcoming elections. We talked about that just briefly as an example of why our culture has become so polarized and everything. I want you to intercede for the candidates and just... Uh, Really, truly pray for their conversions, not for your outcome, for conversions uh, of the different people who are going to be running for office that pray that God would give us holy leaders here in this country. All righty. That is horribly difficult. I don't know if praying for politicians is harder than praying for the bishops in the midst of scandal, right? But um, either way, we are called to be ever faithful to the gospel of Christ. No political party is greater than the gospel of Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. So brothers and sisters, these have been your five practical takeaways. God bless y'all as you do them in the world advancing the kingdom. Pray for us. We pray for you. God bless.